You're listening to episode 119 of Scaling Up. Welcome to Scaling Up. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and if you're listening to this, you're probably a maverick like me. How convenient because I literally made the show just for you. I'm a business scaling strategist that's been in the game for almost a decade now, and I'm weirdly passionate about helping impact-driven entrepreneurs, business owners, brands, and go-getters scale their businesses and their lives. Imagine taking your impact, your income, and your freedom of time to the levels that you can only dream about. Making your mission known to the world and mastering your business strategy so you don't have to keep on trading dollars for hours. I built two two comma businesses doing what I love, what I believe in, and a lot of that has to do with teaching you how to do the same. We drill down on strategy, but we know that it takes more than just business tactics to live the life that you envision. So we go deep on health optimization, mindset, leadership, relationships, and just being that scaled up version of you who is primed and ready to step into your purpose and peak performance. Some days I record this bad Larry from my closet to escape my three littles, and some days I'm down at my barn office on our 12-acre farm. So do me a favor, grab your notebook and a pen and your favorite bevy, and let's get to the show. I had to fill you in on this because I think it might be exactly what you've been hoping for. So we just reopened the doors to our exclusive Maverick Mastermind because we've been getting requests for it for a while now, and we are accepting applications again. But here's the deal. This Mastermind in particular, it is next level. We bring in industry leaders and experts, the ones that you admire from afar, so you can have direct access to them to help you scale your business. We have an entire curriculum we're walking you through that is going to help you change the game of how you grow your business. No more spinning your wheels, feeling like you're wasting time and money. We're going to help you become known as the go-to expert in what you do, help you nail your clarity. You will know exactly what you're called to do and how to do it, increase your visibility, help you build out your next irresistible offers because that's huge. It's going to increase your cash flow, your income levels, your overall impact that you're making. Have access to the people that you want to connect with, in-person retreats with them too. And we're really into teaching you high-level marketing strategy, stuff that's going to stick, list growth strategy so you're talking to the right people, the ones that are primed to buy what you have to offer, and helping you get the right new connections, publicity, land interviews, speaking gigs, direct access to me and my team, my incredible operations director and amazing integrator. And our Mavericks have done more in six months' time in their business than most people do in years of navigating this on your own. It is fast tracking where you wanna go. And masterminds have been the single most powerful tool for growth in my business. It took me from five to six figures in the beginning years ago, and then from six to seven figures. And it is something that I love walking people through because it's so incredibly game-changing. We keep this community really tight. So if you're serious about growing your business and doing it in a way that's in integrity with your values so you can make the impact you want to make, but I believe that there's so much more to success and that's going to be making sure that you're also building in a way that gives you the time freedom so you can be with the people you love while you make the impact you want to make in your business. This is it. So don't wait because we cap this thing. We don't accept unlimited people. So you can apply at elizabethhartke.com forward slash maverick or check in the show notes and you need to apply so that we can schedule a call to see if this is the right fit. Ask whatever questions you want and see if this is the right thing both ways. I want to help you build a business that is in alignment with the vision that you have for your life. No more winging it. We've got the blueprint. Let's do this. So much about what we teach on this show goes a lot deeper than just helping you get a quick win or teaching you how to grow your business to the next level. 
the goal is also to break the chains. And we're creating an opportunity when we choose to step into entrepreneurship and do it right and build it scalably. We have an opportunity for generational change by building these rock solid businesses that stand the test of time and allow us to step into that legacy that we want to create. Have you ever heard of the term entrepreneurial poverty? I had not heard that term either until I had business strategist Rachel Cook on the show to talk about this concept and the burnout and defeat that can come with it. She's helped thousands of female entrepreneurs design profitable businesses to break out of that entrepreneurial poverty. You don't understand how many women who start their own businesses end up in the red or struggling to survive, but there are better ways to build your businesses. There are better ways to break those chains of poverty. Today's episode is going to open your eyes to the reality of what is riding on your decisions as an entrepreneur and as a business owner and how it's so critical to break those chains and how to do this right. Enough building businesses that take us farther from our wildest dreams. It's time to get strategic and that's what we are doing today with Rachel. So let's get to the show. I think today's show is going to open a lot of people's eyes. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here. I'm so thrilled to welcome you to Scaling Up. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. I'm really excited to chat today. Yeah, me too. So you are on a mission right now to end what you call entrepreneurial poverty for women. So I would love to know before we dive into that and kind of break that down in a more tangible sense, what spurred that passion? Like, Tell us about the road getting you to this point. Like most entrepreneurial journeys, it has been a long and twisty and winding road. Um, But what happened for me is I was someone who in college, I went straight through my undergrad and straight into an MBA program and started going into the corporate consulting world, straight out of my MBA, which is usually what happens after you finish a master's in business. You go into consulting or you go into finance, you're going to climb that corporate ladder. And I quickly realized that that was not the place for me. I crashed and burned really hard after a few years of the corporate grind to the point where I was on a medical leave of absence. I took disability for three months because I was so ill. I was just so burned out and so ill. And during that time, I got on a yoga mat and started practicing yoga every single day. I started seeing a life coach. I started seeing a therapist. I started seeing a holistic healthcare practitioner. And it was my yoga teacher who said, Rach, I know that you don't want to go back to consulting in the way that you were before, but do you think you could help me with my studio? And that was the light bulb for me that, oh, there are these micro business owners, owner operated businesses that did not have access to the type of information or strategy or frameworks that I had. Um, It just wasn't really available in 2007, 2008 to that population. So I started my business under the brand, the Yogipreneur to begin, but over the last 12 years, it's evolved now to the CEO collective. And the biggest thing that I have seen in over a decade of working with thousands and thousands of women entrepreneurs is that while women are starting businesses at a faster pace than ever before, we're starting 1,806 businesses a day and still we only make up 4% of total revenues for all of small business. Our revenue numbers are not matching the sheer number of women who are exiting the corporate workplace saying, hey, that life does not work for us. We want more freedom, more flexibility, the ability to live life on our terms, whether it's raising a family or taking care of parents or traveling. 
And when we're exiting to create that path for ourselves, we're not actually creating the freedom that we want. What usually tends to happen is we leave the nine to five just to work 24 seven, trying to grind it out. And then we see people burning out of business within a few short years. So all of that to say, I am so tired of women giving up amazing, talented women who, because their business is not working for them, they end up just throwing in the towel. And that's why I'm on this mission to end entrepreneurial poverty for women. Because I think when we have more wealthy women, more women who are starting the next wave of businesses who are creating new jobs, we're going to create the type of businesses our daughters want to work for. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I just have like a special place in my heart for people with tall order missions. Like, <laughs> dang, that's a tall order that you've got in front of you, but it's worth pursuing and it's worth fighting for. I didn't realize those statistics. So I'm really glad that you um, dropped that knowledge bomb on us and kind of shocked our system enough to pay attention to things like this. So you kind of defined entrepreneurial poverty can you define it a little deeper? Yeah. Like, is it a certain number? Is it like beneath a certain, you know, income level or that they just can't afford to live on their own on these incomes through entrepreneurship? What is it exactly? So I would define entrepreneurial poverty as the poverty of time, poverty of energy and the poverty of money, right? Preach. So on the time side, we are in a cult, we are in the hustle culture. If you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to the predominant narrative being shared right now, it's hustle, hustle, hustle. You'll get that reward someday, but right now, a hundred hours a week is no big deal. (laughs) And that just doesn't work for most women that I know. Um, Mm -hmm. Most women that I know, there comes a point in your life where it's like, I'm done hustling. Like when is the hustle ever over? It just starts to feel like it's never going to end. And the reality is most of the people who are preaching the hustle culture are not coming from the background most women are coming from. Most women aren't going out and getting venture capital to start their business. They're not going out and getting lines of credit to start their business. Most of us are bootstrapping it, which means it's us, our savings account, and maybe a credit card. And a lot of the women that I work with that are now being called to entrepreneurship, it's not like they have, you know, six figures sitting in an account for them to start their business. They might have a couple thousand dollars at their disposal, and it really is about making sure they can get up and going as quickly as possible. But if they're inundated with that hustle mentality, then they'll work themselves to the bone before they ever get that return that they're looking for. So that's the mm. first thing, is time poverty. It's such a mm-hmm. challenge. And if you layer on that being a mom, if you layer on that taking care of aging parents or heaven forbid, wanting to have time to like take care of yourself, like go work out or <laughs> spend time. What with is your, that? What do you partner, mean time for yourself? Have friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Social no life, time. what's that? Yeah, yeah. There's no time in that hustle mentality. It's not a well-rounded life. It's very much putting everything in with the hope that it'll pay off. And there's a better way to do it. Um, the other thing is poverty of your energy. I talk to women all the time who are hitting burnout. In fact, the World Health Organization just declared last year that burnout is an epidemic. They have never, ever said burnout is a real problem, but it is because we are seeing people get incredibly sick because of the overwork and the nonstop connection to this little supercomputer in our pocket. It's preventing us from actually being healthy human beings. And when we don't have the energy, we can't show up and do our highest work. So we have a poverty of our energy. 
The final thing is financial poverty. And when I look at the statistics for what women entrepreneurs and small business owners are making, 75% of small businesses owned by women are making less than $50,000 a year. The majority of that is under $30,000 a year. If you look at the statistics for women of color, for black women, the average income is closer to $25,000 a year. Why is that happening? <laughs> a you lot. live on that. How can you live on that? And I think often we come in and women have been taught not to talk about money, not to ask for more money, not to negotiate more money when you're going out and getting new contracts. Um, and that sets us up for a disadvantage from the get-go. And when you look at the costs of running a business, it's even if you are running a business where you have minimized your costs as much as possible, by the time you add in taxes and everything else, how do you actually have a livable income off of that level of revenue. So I feel like right now, the biggest reason women are coming up against this entrepreneurial poverty is we don't always understand what the finances of a healthy, sustainable business look like. And we tend to play small because we're nervous about going bigger. We're scared to go bigger in a lot of ways. There's a lot of fear in having employees and feeling responsible for someone else's livelihood. There's a lot of fear in investing into these things that will help grow your business. But these are things that the men in the world, that's not even a given for them. They know that they need to hire help. They know they need to invest into the business and buy the tools and buy the systems and buy the support that they need to grow. But for some reason, women are holding themselves back and playing way too small. Yeah. Do you think it's like the first thought that comes to mind when you said that, because I think this is so true. We're spread really thin, right? Like, so put the, like, let's pretend that like we're putting motherhood on top of this. And like you said, potentially caring for ailing parents, like just so many, mm -hmm. we're so multifaceted, multidimensional. So like, we're not just entrepreneurs. We're so many different. And we're like, our health is more complicated than men's health. We might be going through pregnancies or infertility or just loss. So many different things. Is it the fat is one piece of it? Cause I don't, I think I've felt this way at different points in my like decade of business of like, man, I'm spread so thin already. If I keep my business down here, no employees, not taking out loans, not hiring people to help me, not hiring the coaches I need. There's a level of like mentally simplicity to this. I can't even fathom stretching myself one more layer thin where I'm managing people juggling bigger numbers, putting risk in my family's home. And although I know from my vantage point now being on the other end of it, you have to take that leap and break through that ceiling in order to have the abundance that you got probably got into entrepreneurship for in the first place. There's this like almost like a safety zone of staying around that 20 to 40K mark of like, this is a little more simplified. Yeah, maybe I'm not making bank, but I'm still an entrepreneur and I don't have as many risks. Yeah, there's, there are fewer risks being a freelancer and, and having a very, very simple business. I love a simple business. The challenge comes when like, look at right now, the environment we are all going through this crazy year with COVID and mass unemployment, freelancers are struggling the most right now because they struggled to qualify for any sort of relief or any sort of help. And they're the first ones to go as far as where they're getting their contracts from because they're not employees. So they're on the chopping block first when it comes to a bigger business who's hiring them 
going down the line and saying, where are we going to cut our own costs? So in a lot of ways, playing small seems simpler, but it's actually setting you up for more risk long-term because when you play that small, you're not able to set aside for your own retirement. You're not able to have meaningful savings. And really, you don't have a business that's set up to be an asset. And this is the difference I think that women don't necessarily think about how do I build a business that's built to sell or that's built to live beyond me and understanding that thinking about your business as an asset, as something that has value on its own is a game changer because then you start thinking about it differently. Just like if you buy a home, you think of your home as an asset and you wouldn't just buy the home and do the bare minimum. Most people buy the home and they want that asset to increase in value over time. So we remodel the kitchen, we make sure it looks good, we take really good care of it, we maintain it. And then hopefully, if you decide to move 10 years down the road, it's appreciated in value and you're getting more out of it. Well, your business should be the same way. It should be something that it's not just the dollar for hour work. It should be something that's able to stand alone and become a source of wealth for you. But that can only happen if you start thinking about your business differently, if you start thinking about it as a bigger part of your overall wealth portfolio. Mm-hmm. I, well, okay. So this is finally an epidemic I'm excited to talk about, but we can't slap a mask on it. So you mentioned there is a better way. And I want to dig into that because you are 100% speaking my language here. This is like, in fact, my love language, talking all things, creating a profitable business, a scalable business, getting out of the grind and hustle. And I think fundamentally speaking, like changing our mindset as women about what we're capable of, letting go of the BS narratives that hold us back from pursuing the things that are available to us based on our skill sets and our hard work and our vision and so many of those different things. Um, and, And going all in on having this, like you mentioned, an asset, like something, and something that, like, I dream about having actually multiple businesses that I, if I fall off to the face of the earth, they're still out there making that impact and making my family money. And something that if my children are interested in what I do, which mine are really little at the moment, they're interested in playing in the dirt and, Mm -hmm. you know, riding on their bikes, which I love, but someday if they are interested, it's something that they could take over and run with and continue to scale and grow. So Let's dive into that because I just think it's so important. Um, When you're walking someone through your process to help them, you know, really simplify, get out of the clutter and start to step into this way of thinking, where can people start? Like, how can we get them to open their eyes to what's possible and what's important? What's an important first step for them? The first thing that I always think of when I'm thinking of a business that's truly an asset that can generate income on its own with or without you, the business owner being involved, first up intellectual property. What is the intellectual property of that business? Now this in, in different industries, and I don't know who all is listening, but you know, right now there's a lot of coaches and consultants and people who are teaching different things, who are creating online courses, who are creating books. That's one type of intellectual property, but it's not the only type of intellectual property. Even if you have like a retail business, you're selling a physical product, um, you have intellectual property there too. Like think about Walmart and how much their intellectual property is worth. They have got the best distribution system in the world. 
that is an intellectual property right there. It's the systems that are running behind the scenes in their business and making sure that it can do what it does. So having intellectual property that you're offering but all, um, for sale is one thing, but also intellectual property in the way that you're running your business. This is why franchises are so popular. A lot of people decide they wanna own a business, well, they're gonna go buy a franchise. They're buying the intellectual property of the, the SOP, the plan for how you actually start and run the day-to-day -day of this business because that's what's incredibly valuable. So that's one big thing that we want to look at. What is the intellectual property in the business? Is it the thing you're selling or is it the way that you're running the actual business? Yep. Um, the other thing is, can this business literally run without you? One of the things I learned, I, I was raised by two entrepreneurs and my dad always told me his job was to fire himself from every job in the business until all he had to do was show up and mentor people. And now that's all he does. He's 70 years old and he likes to get dressed every day and get in his pickup truck and drive down to his office to have lunch with his team. And all he does is mentor everybody who works for him. He fired himself from being the receptionist at the office. He fired himself from the call center at the office. He fired himself from being the sales team. He fired himself from being um, the expert in all the different things that they do in his business. So all he does is show up now and make sure the team is happy and give them goals to work towards. That's it. And that's one big thing that we have to think about is how do we stop being the day-to-day -day operator of our business and really step into being that business owner? That is crucial because you can't ever sell a business or pass it on if it's tied to your efforting. It has to be tied to something beyond just you, something that's able to rinse and repeat. So those are two of the big things that we look at. Um, we're looking at intellectual property, how the business is running. We're looking at making sure you can fire yourself. The business can run without you. And we're also looking at making sure that the business is financially healthy. I think this is where financial education is something that, you know, one, we do a terrible job of this in the U.S. Like we don't have enough financial education, but understanding business finances is really, really important if you're going to be an entrepreneur because business finance is very different from personal finance. And I tend to see a lot of people get nervous around the idea of going after loans or going after capital to grow their business when really all of the people who are growing very, very successful businesses, they have lines of credit. They have an investor. They are not using their personal money in order to grow their business. They're using other people's money. And this is something that we don't talk about very much, especially in the women's entrepreneurial space, because we're all taught that debt is bad and we shouldn't have any. But if you can use other people's money to grow your business, you can actually not only grow something that's, again, an asset for you, but you protect your own personal money and keep that for yourself and your family instead of putting that out in the world. Right. I see way, way too many women um, either playing small because they don't want to put their families at risk and not even considering lines of credit or investors or other opportunities and ways to grow their business beyond what they have right now, yeah. or putting their families at risk and not, still not considering those other options, having it be where they take on so much credit card debt, or they have incredibly, you know, um, dangerous, what I would consider dangerous businesses that are completely trading time for money. Um, if they get sick for two days and they're down with the flu 
everything just went down the tubes and now they can't afford to pay their bills. They're taking money out of their kids' college funds. They're just not being wise with it. And I, I think for me, so like I am very much the personality type or whatever, you know, whatever it is that makes me this way, that numbers make me ill. Like I've always been this way, but I remember um, probably nine years ago in business when I was very new to entrepreneurship and I said to one of my mentors who's still, you know, a dear friend and one of my mentors today, you know, I'm just a, not a numbers person. And it was like, he donkey kicked me in the gut. He's like, then you're not a business owner. You know, you, this is your business. This is your baby. You can't say, oh, I love my child. I love playing with my child. I love, you know, getting them ready for bed and getting them down to sleep, but I'm not really into the whole feeding them thing. No, no, no. This is your baby. You have to make sure that you know all the aspects of your business, your baby that helps it to be nurtured and to grow. So you can't chalk up the one thing that makes your business worth having, which is profitability and potential to get money into your bank account so that you can continue to grow that business and say, oh, that's just not really my thing. And the thing that I love is that there are so many um, friendly ways of learning numbers now. It's not the old school approach of like a man in a suit with an Excel spreadsheet freaking you out. It's there are apps out there that make it easier to track your numbers. You can um, hire people and bring them in to help consult without it being some astronomical rate. There's so much available now that that makes it easier for us to not numbers people to stop leaning into that narrative and actually be the owners of our business and nurture the whole business and not leave one major, you know, limb of this business just hanging, you know, yeah. left to left out to dry. So like, that's such an important piece. And I, I see more women than men leaning into that narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it comes down to, we're not really taught about money and it feels big and scary, but once you understand it, you understand that cash flow is the lifeblood of your business. Profit is what actually makes sure that you can pay yourself really well and reinvest back into your business. And if you don't understand how those two things are playing out in your business, then chances are you are one bad month away from your business closing. Yeah. Um, I heard another statistic from my friend Tara Newman, and she said 84% of business owners are one check away from closing the doors. Meaning one, one failed launch away, one client not paying that retainer away from having major problems. And this is, this is a huge issue because if you can imagine like what would happen if one of your biggest clients couldn't pay you this month, this has happened to so many entrepreneurs over the last couple months, suddenly, oh, they're not getting paid from somebody. They're not paying you. And then it just is like a domino effect across businesses. We're seeing businesses have to shut down at a rapid rate. That's why we had such a big infusion from the government through the CARES Act. But it might not be enough to save people if they don't have a handle on the cash flow coming into their business and they don't have enough of a cash savings sitting there to cover multiple months of expenses. And these are basic things that it doesn't have to be scary. I love the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. I highly, highly recommend that one. Um, I feel like it's really easy to read and really easy to understand. And it's a great system to make sure that you're cash positive because you want to be cash positive. You don't want to be running on a hope and a dream and be one check away from not being able to keep the lights on in your business. So let's talk through some different ways that entrepreneurs can start to build these things into their business 
through different streams of income. And specifically, I think it's super important to have passive income streams, like you've mentioned, where, you know, take me out of the equation and I, I am still earning. My business is still able to grow and thrive, even if I'm not physically giving my time to the business. So what are some, some uh, things to consider for entrepreneurs listening in saying, dang, I'm not, I don't check any of those boxes quite yet, but I know I want to pivot towards that direction. Where should I start? Yeah. One of the things that always keeps me going is people always think that having a job is, is so much security. And I finally told my father-in-law said something to me when I was first getting started, wouldn't it be more secure for you to go back into consulting and have a job that's more consistent. And I said, well, 300 people have to fire me right now for me not to have any income coming in. So I think I've built a pretty good safety net here because I have to have that many people fire me as their consultant in order for this not to work. Yeah, and that's one. what, that's diversifying your income, making sure one, you're not just dependent on one contract. You're not just dependent on one client. And this is something I see for a lot of people, especially who are in that freelancer model where they don't have that many clients. And then suddenly they have a client who drops the project or decides not to move forward and suddenly a huge chunk of their revenue is gone. So making sure that you aren't completely beholden to just a couple of people, a couple of businesses, and that you have a lot of clients that you're working with, that's one way to diversify your income stream. Another way that I love, and this has been the the path I've chosen for my own business, is offering different products, programs, and services that really take all of my intellectual property, put them into trainings, and then deliver them for me. So there's a lot of work. I, I have a love-hate relationship with the word passive income because it's not passive. It is That's definitely- true. That's true. It is something that takes a lot of time up front to write a book. I'm writing my third. It takes a lot of time and energy. It takes a lot of time and energy to create your own frameworks and to record a training program. It takes a lot of time and energy to um, create any sort of documented trainings that you're doing through courses or group programs. But the best part about setting those up is they can be sold without you actually having to sell. So they're up on your website. They can sell themselves. You can put up a whole marketing and sales system that it's selling even if you're not there. This is the whole dream of making money while you sleep. It's you have a marketing and sales system in place to sell something that's available all the time right there without you there. So that's another option that I absolutely love is having some sort of course training type of program. But something else I'm also a fan of is creating the systems to have other people deliver your products, programs, and services for you. And this is where I'm starting to explore even more inside of my CEO collective. We're now training coaches to come in and facilitate for me. So I'm just focused on the very big picture and other people are coming in to deliver the training, to deliver the content, to deliver the masterminds and the support. And that's a whole different level of having more passive income because now I'm really more of the big picture CEO versus the person responsible for delivering the product program or service. Yeah, you're following in your dad's footsteps. That's right. I just want to be at the top, come in for lunch, talk right. to the team. Hop That's in the pickup goal. truck. Yeah, right. Exactly. Drive up I in love, the pickup truck. Yeah. <laughs> I love this because there really are so many, like a multitude of ways to have yeah. income streams. Um, and the, the beauty of the online business world now is that even if you're in a brick and mortar listening to this, you can extract what you know 
you can extract mm -hmm. your experiences, your wisdom, um, your expertise, and bring it online in a way that even if the doors to your physical business close down, which we've seen like never before, you have that security of having your knowledge available to people online and you can sell it in, you know, like I said, a multitude of ways, group coaching yeah. programs, masterminds, courses, like what you're doing, training other people to teach what you do, um, you know, workshops, whatever it might be. So we've, I think like we're living right now through the um, era of the pivot, like the last, you Absolutely. know, three, four months have been like looking like, you know, uh, I don't know if you know anything about basketball, but I'm like picturing back to the days when I was in like third grade playing and the kid would hold the ball and pivot like 8 million times. It's like that. Like we're in that stage yeah. of the game, but it's a beautiful thing because there's just endless opportunity with the online space. And there's really no excuse anymore for, for saying, man, I, I don't like, I don't have any options. We always have a new path that's available to us. Doesn't mean it's not going to come at a price with a, a ton of hard work, learning new skill sets. You mm -hmm. know, I know a lot of people and I've mentored a lot of people who've come from the brick and mortar space. I've had chiropractor clients, um, restaurant owners who said, man, I am 0% familiar with anything online. Like I don't even use social media. I don't know how to use, you know, these online platforms. What's an email list. So yeah, they're going to have to work a little bit harder, uh, but it's still available to us. And it's not, it's not wise anymore to say, I'm going to put all my eggs in this one singular basket and really hope that, that nothing in the world affects my business. Um, you know, it's not that we become recession proof or COVID proof or anything like that, but we do have different options available at all times when we're in the online space. Absolutely. I think what we're seeing right now is there used to be a big separation between having an online business versus having like a local brick and mortar traditional business. And what we're seeing right now is the merging of the two. Mm -hmm. So a great example of this, one of my friends has a Mexican food restaurant. And one of the things that they did when COVID shut down everything was he and his son, who's about nine years old, started a cooking show <laughs> for it. their, for all of their patrons of the restaurant. And they could actually buy family packs of things all ready to go, like, and then go home, pick it up at the restaurant, and then go home and watch the cooking lesson about how to make quesadillas with Juan and his little boy. So and I fun. thought, so cute, right? So fun and a great activity, a great family thing for his community who knew him and loved him and they wanted something, something else to do during this time. Another um, store here locally to me is a, like a furniture store where they paint things and take old stuff and like fix it up and paint it and make it look really cute. She started doing like a weekly Facebook live show, either teaching how to make stuff and you just come by the shop and pick up like on the sidewalk, your paint and all the stuff that you need, or you can come in and get like a whole project to take home and again, do a class with them online. And it was just about being creative. Like how can we continue taking care of our people in a new and different way? What's really interesting is now these are revenue streams I doubt they're going to let go of because they have actually helped them thrive through this time. And once word got out that, hey, you could build a ukulele instead of coming to our workshop about building a ukulele, we're going to do it virtually and send you everything you need. Um, it opens up so much opportunity for these businesses that before might have been limited to when people actually have time to go to that area of town or 
anything like that. So I think it really is about being creative and just looking at all these tools as these are things that are going to make it easier for us to get out in front of people and really over time, it create new income streams for your business. Yeah. I think the world as we know it is forever changed because people and businesses have gotten a taste of what's possible and what's available. And like you said, like they're not going to go back, you know, they might reincorporate the piece that was shut down, but they're not letting go of this new income stream because why the heck would they do that? It's brilliant. And it's reaching people in a whole new way and it's serving their clients at a higher level. Uh, It's creative. It's outside the box. And it's, it's breaking through the noise. And it's also, to me, I feel like in times of, of crisis or challenge is when you really see the leaders shine and you yeah. see the, the victims be highlighted as well. And it's not to say that there aren't people who really got dealt a crappy hand, like beyond crappy. The situations, you know, for so many, a variation of reasons, um, have been truly difficult, but the leaders in that, the face of those moments have found a way to break through and they're finding a way to break through. And it's funny when you mentioned how, I think you said your father-in-law was commenting on like the security mm-hmm. of a full-time stable job. I remember getting that lecture when I officially said goodbye to corporate from my mother, who's a CPA, runs her own business as an entrepreneur and from my father. And it was like, the, I think it was like two weeks after that, they ended up letting go of my whole department. And it was like, I was going to get fired anyway. Like this is like, I have, at least I have control and I can put this whole thing on my back and, and breathe life into it based on what I'm willing to do to get there. And if to what we're speaking about today, yeah, you can hustle your way there, but there is a better way. And if you can put it on your back and then be strategic with how you, you know, run this thing forward, it's a, it's a game changer. It's, it's life changing. It opens up so much free and it gets people out of that poverty that you speak of the poverty you know of the time and financial poverty and the energy poverty which is a huge piece too people are just burnt the heck out we're, we yeah. we go into entrepreneurship because we're like i'm so empowered by what i want to do and i want to change my piece of the world and we get a few years into it and it's the same friggin torturous prison we were just in in the cubicle because we just built that around us the way we built our business so you have to be strategic and intentional about how you, you grow your business and scale your business and open your mind to the strategies in which you can bring these things to life. So I just, I, I love this conversation. I, I, um, I could talk about this like for a lifetime if you didn't notice, but <laughs> any, any other words of wisdoms on, on this that really speak to you um, that you would want our listeners to hear? Yeah. I think the biggest thing that has helped me in this whole journey has been reminding myself that the business is separate from me. It is its own entity. It is not, my business is not Rachel Cook. I am Rachel Cook. The business is something separate. And yes, it does need to be cared for and it it does need to be nurtured and invested into. But at the end of the day, you've got to have a healthy relationship with your business and you've got to make sure your business is free to grow, right? Like just like we were talking about when you're first starting, your business is your baby and you're putting so much time and energy into it. But the goal is not for the baby to stay in your house for 50 years. It's for oh, you heck no. <laughs> the baby to be independent and to stand on its own two feet. And we have to do that with our businesses as well. We have to set our businesses up to succeed by making sure that it has the intellectual property in place, the systems in place so it can run itself. We have to separate ourselves and make sure that it's got its own strong financial base 
separate from our personal finances. And we've just got to make sure that we're um, thinking more big picture about the longevity of this business. Because imagine how cool it would be as if the day you decide you want to retire, you can sell that business for a million dollars. Imagine what amazing thing it would be if you could hand it off to your kids or have someone else come in and take it to an even bigger level. I really want to see these businesses thrive because I truly believe when more women are in positions of leadership, that's how we're going to get to a better world where we have more flexibility and more support and more women in general thriving in their work lives, whether they're employees or entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I I just have to thank you for this conversation. I have enjoyed it so thoroughly. I Our listeners know that this is like my lifeblood and I love bringing someone else into the conversation that has this expertise and a different angle. Um, and I, I just love this whole concept of, you know, entrepreneurial poverty for women. Like I just never really thought about it like that. And I guess I never really understood um, how bad it really is because sometimes as entrepreneurs, we're in our own little bubbles with ourselves and our clients, but it's true. I've seen this for, you know, the decade I've been in business and it's a, it's a massive problem. And the, but the blessing in all of it is there is a way out and there is, and it is within our grasp and our control. And we just have to keep leaning into the resources um, and the people and the, the, just the passion that we have for pursuing those, that vision and, and those dreams and making that impact in the world. So thank you so much for your time today. And I want to make sure that our listeners can come find you. So where are the best places to track you down? Yeah, the best place to find me is at rachelcook.com. And I believe my team has set up a nice little link to send you some goodies to up-level your CEO habits and skills. Um, So I will make sure that you have that in your show notes, the link to, I think it's rachelcook.com slash scaling up. And then my favorite place to hang out online is honestly Instagram. So if you listen to this podcast episode and you liked it, you got a little nugget to take away with you take a screenshot and tag me on your Instagram stories, tag Elizabeth and let us know your aha or your insight. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. I second that. Thanks for your time today. And I can't wait to see all the good that you continue to do in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Before you go, make sure you take a minute to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on all of those amazing fromies, freebies for me homies, obviously, and content that we're creating just for you. And if you like today's episode, can you help us out and help us get this in the hands of more people by taking a screenshot of today's episode and sharing it with your friends, tagging me, passing it around on social media. Guys, we've got to get this mission and this movement out there to more people so that They are living their purpose and living out their dreams and getting paid for it well too. I'm also so thankful for all the amazing feedback we've been getting in the reviews. So if this podcast is helping you grow, take a second and go review us on iTunes and be sure to check out today's show notes for more details and takeaways from the show. Until next week, guys, keep scaling up.